Welcome to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Here to talk all things hockey are your hosts, Brad Crisco, Ryan Hanna, and Evan Lobsinger. Rainy day. Jeez, that started coming down. Yeah, it's, I can just barely see it now. It looks like it's really coming down. <clears throat> we need it. I, we need it so badly. I can't tell if you know that I started recording or not. No. Yes, <laughs> I can see that. 30 seconds. Uh, all right. Well, uh, you guys will notice quickly that it is just Evan and I today. Um, Brad is sitting this one out. You guys have actually asked the Tory Krug question too many times and he couldn't take it anymore. So he's no longer participating in this podcast. Yes, he has uh, decided to sit this one out because of the repetitive questions that we have received. <laughs> You've broken no. the man. You for you did the uh, the unthinkable, which is um, annoy Brad more than he can annoy the universe. So way to shift that balance. And, and now the repercussion is you get just Evan and I for for the next hour or so. We're sorry. You're welcome. Um, no, in all honesty, though, uh, just a quick note here, uh, for those of you who have seen on Twitter, it's been a rough week for, for Brad and his family. Um, you'll remember not too long ago, they had to put down, uh, their long time, one of their longtime family dogs, Demon. And, uh, just yesterday they had to do the same for the, uh, second dog, Ollie. So, uh, what do you say? I, I can't imagine going back to that house and not having both of those idiots there. That's what I was telling Catherine. I was saying the last time we were at their house, there was there even a Hank. Yeah, there was a Hank. There was a Hank. Yeah, there was a Hank. But there was five people, st- six people still in the house. Entities in the house. I can honestly say Corona. This whole period of time has been easily the worst time for Brad out of the three oh. of us. Oh yeah, by far. Um, and not to mention that you guys will have also seen they had a family friend's baby and just about Hank's age actually get diagnosed with cancer. So just keep Brad and, and Crystal and, and Mika and Hank in your thoughts. Crystal told me that Mika still thinks Ollie's coming home. It's just it tears Awful. my heart out. Yeah. Um, Demon and Ollie will forever be the original mascot to this podcast. Uh, early days when we used to do it in Brad's kitchen before we even migrated down to the basement. And we didn't have, uh, before we got chased down there by Mika, we would be in the kitchen and, and they would just position their uh, butts straight towards us and just crop dust us the whole episode. Yep. That was our original home games. That's a, the farts wow. per 60 have decreased significantly now. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, never thought I'd miss them, but yeah. Yeah. It's sad. Good boys. This, these episodes are for them. Well, we'll raise the, we'll retire their jerseys. Oh Yeah. Yeah, we actually should. We should get. Uh, we should do something in the studio. A little ceremony. We're all back in here. Yeah. Anyways, um, sorry guys. A, a little bit of a somber note, but uh, Brad and the family deserve it. So uh, deserve the recognition and, and all of our thoughts. So, welcome to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Uh, man down today. I'm Ryan Hanna, and I'm Evan. That's uh, Evan sipping on a beer because I told him he has to bring his talking voice today. Yep, I got. The beer to my left and water to my right because I'm a responsible adult and because I'll be hungover if I don't. <laughs> I have a uh, tea and um, these, uh, I'm not going to say the name because no free ads, but these like flavored. Oh man. There, those, those have to have an, an addictive drug in them. We, Seriously. We go through cases of that carbonated beverage. I've never liked like carbonated water or sparkling water. I've actually hated it. Me neither. It. 
I'm right with I was, it. I was like, I, I, I stopped buying pop or soda, whatever you call it, like years ago, because I'm like, I would not stop drinking Coke if it was in the house. So like, of getting Kuzanets off. And then we had this and I tried it. I'm like, it's not bad. And then like 11 cans later, I'm like, oh, what is this? Yeah, it's the best, but no free ads. But if they want to work with us, we are open to a partnership. We are open. Um, all right. On today's podcast, there's uh, some news floating around in the hockey world, as there tends to be. Um, we'll, of course, tackle normal return to play conversation. Uh, awards nominees are slowly rolling out, so we'll have a conversation about that. And then uh, today's uh, NHL draft prospect profile will take a little bit more of a uh, different approach as we we're going to have a, uh, a discussion on um, value at a pick and how much you can hold a GM accountable based on you know how far off their move is. So, that's obviously going to be a familiar conversation with Red Wings fans considering what's happened uh, last year in the draft and what might happen this year. Um, and then, of course, we'll touch on some quick hits before heading into um, overtime. Uh, all right, return to play. So, you know, teams are, are warming up and uh, training camps are going. And I don't think they're in the bubble yet, but uh, they're due to start, you know, just a couple of weeks, just over a couple of weeks here. So uh, not too far off from actual, I mean, you know, fingers crossed, actual hockey being played. A couple weeks at this point. Yeah, which is crazy. Um, Seems quick. Seems very quick. Yeah. Even though it's been like, at that point, it will have been, what, five months since the last game? It seems like there was a lot of stagnation, but now it's really ramping up at a very quick pace, which is fine by me so long as everything gets pulled off smoothly. Yeah, and it's it's interesting because all these different leagues are doing it at the same time, right? Like the NBA is doing it and they're already dealing with like, you know, players breaking the quarantine by, you know, inviting girls in or... or I saw somebody shotgunning a beer. <laughs> I mean, I don't think that's against the quarantine rules. It actually looked like a ton of fun. So I'm glad yeah. they're at least enjoying themselves in every type of fashion they can think of. One player, I don't know who it was. I don't follow the NBA too closely, but one player was like, oh, I can't eat this food. Like, I'm just going to get DoorDash or something. And uh, he went out and like, like took pictures of himself grabbing the food from the delivery driver. And then the team announced that he had to quarantine away from everyone else. I, I did hear days. about that as well. I have no idea who it was, but yeah, like, come, come on. on. <laughs> <laughs> you had one thing you had to do and you screwed it up. Professional athletes, man. Just It's a uh, tough life, man. You know, making millions of dollars, like having to have everything paid for it's tough i feel you exercise poor. you exercise a lot of muscles but the old noggin isn't uh a little rusty for some of them yeah i'm sure we'll hear copious amounts of those stories uh as they uh as these return to place uh continue yeah the uh, good thing is all hockey players have such like it's almost religious how much they they subscribe to the whole like stoic like bare bones like i would train in siberia if that's where i had to play attitude because you have guys like tarasenko playing saying like i need a bed and food like i don't care where we're staying i don't need a resort and then you have like rayshon rondo in the nba showing this beautiful room and going what is this this is garbage peasants it's like the penthouse at the nicest hotel in florida i know they showed uh uh i think damien lill uh yeah Lillard and for the Trailblazers, he has like the presidential suite and it's 2,700 square feet. That's massive. That's bigger than most people's houses. That's, I think, double the square footage in our home. Yeah. 
Um, yeah, it's tough, you know. He's uh, he's a franchise player. He makes ma- millions and millions of dollars. Like, how can he live in such squalor? It's a hard life. So uh, uh, the Leafs actually in their training camp um, were using officials, uh, referees, linesmen, and officials, and uh, other teams who didn't have that privilege or ability to do so complained. <laughs> the NHL told them to stop. Told the Toronto Maple Leafs to stop, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I don't uh, really understand the purpose of bringing officials out. Like, maybe it prepares you more for a game-like scenario with having officials Yeah, getting scrimmages in. Yeah. But I'm not sure how the officials are written into the return-to-play contracts or however they've set it up. I wouldn't even be surprised if they they hadn't considered it. Because it's like not explicitly uh, ruled out, but just teams thought it was like an implicit no-no because it's like need to be there personnel only. And the Leafs were probably like, oh, well, they're contracted employees of the Leafs for like these few weeks. And then the league was like, all right, come on. And Leafs fans were pretty pissed off on Twitter. <laughs> it was funny to see. But really? That doesn't seem out of character. No, 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 no. Um, yeah, I don't know. They have their exhibition games. Everyone's starting from the same point. I don't think it's like... It, Having officials at your practice isn't going to move the needle. But if I'm a rival team, yeah, I'll be petty. And Who do they play? It. Columbus? Yeah. Be, I, I think they that's a team that might actually use that to fire their uh, their will to win a little bit. Oh, yeah. You don't want to give anything to a John Tortorella team. And it might be something small like that. But if there's a guy who can twist that into fuel, it's John. In a, G, in a GM coach... Uh, tag team cage match of all nhl teams there is not a team i would be more scared of than columbus with yarmo kekalainen and, and john tortorella coming into that cage those are two scary dudes yeah yeah i think tortorella's mindset is he will win because he can't lose and that right there stirs fear inside me they could kill you with like a, a knee pad if they needed to the only thing I would be worried about is if they were fighting Philly and all of a sudden they turned on Gritty's theme song and then he <laughs> ran out and he was like the third member in that that would be concerning. How far in terms of like 2020 craziness are we from like an actual report of Gritty being arrested for like something real like not like uh, the that whole thing. That feels so long ago that he <laughs> like- allegedly assaulted a season ticket holder's son. That's not even the craziest thing I've heard like in the past 24 hours. I don't even think that's the craziest thing that's happened since we've started talking today. No, I don't think so. Someone mentioned some like huge new international news story and I was like, oh man, that has that already been like, that was like what, early 2019 and I looked it up and it was like February. It's like the Australian wildfires. Yeah. Yeah. Stuff like that. It's crazy. We thought... Oh my God! People remember were making. When, remember when we were like, going to like a war with Iran and there was World War Three going on? <laughs> no, that was like that was last week almost. <laughs> People were making those memes where like each month had a different like theme, like wildfire, like World War with Iran, and then that quickly devolved because there's too many things to put in one month. We can't have one winner. It just has to be a bunch of different things. No. If we if we make it out of this hellscape, we might do a retrospective eventually. Uh, speaking of weird stories, um, injury declarations in the whole return to play have uh, become even more vague than hockey injury declarations usually are. They uh, they always talk about you know lower body or upper body or like undisclosed or things like that. 
but now it's just unfit to play unfit to participate and that's the blanket rule to make sure that players who are diagnosed with covid um, are protected um, that's not just put out into the world but now it's like you don't know anything that's happening so pasternak and andre kasha right now miss practice today for the bruins for example and they're unfit to play but expected to be ready are they unfit to play because they have like a bruised shin or something or are they unfit to play because one of them has like a terrible virus you just don't brad marchand lick them yeah i mean gave them covid yeah occupational hazard it's unfortunate that that's the ruling they have to go with for a fan's perspective because it doesn't really give you much insight okay he'll still be ready to go or so and so is out long term okay this will temper our expectations um but i can totally understand why they go with the method they're going with it's to protect the players first and i'm 100 percent on board with doing it that way yeah might as well um chicago people are talking about uh team like they're already joking about teams like trying to tank for the, the one and eight shot at lafrenia right i think chicago already announced that uh cory crawford won't be um used at all for their play in series and you know not saying that we have any information that could uh be used to ascertain that that's like a tanking move because you don't know like that guy has a pretty rough injury history i'm pretty sure it's concussions with Corey crawford um but if you're the gm of the blackhawks and you're oh you're already down a starting goalie and like you might have to use malcolm suban as a, a goalie in a playoff series are you really that enthused to win just to move just to have to win 16 more games yeah um and i think they also said there was no timetable for Corey crawford's return so that raises a lot of question marks in terms of how that's going to play out for chicago who like you said they're the next guy up is malcolm suban and that is not a confident uh starting goalie i would not be hedging my bets on him so it could be pretty quick for chicago and here they are lining up for the lafreniere sweepstakes nothing would make me more sick to my stomach oh man who would you prefer chicago or toronto uh that's tough can i can i pass (laughs) i'll just skip like 15 years of of the nhl I don't know. If I a gun to my head, it would be Toronto because they're in cap hell and they got to do something. It would force, yeah, it would force someone out eventually. At least one person. The thing is, like, there's certain play play in teams who are, like, by no means close at all to the playoffs. And I think now that they have a reasonable shot. The Rangers being a great example. That's a team that could that could be close. Florida was close to a playoff spot, and of course they they would be competitive. Um, the Blackhawks, no, like I just don't see them as a viable team to that could go all the way. Like they they would be among my lowest likely. You know, with everyone healthy and the stars aligning, like Pat, you can never doubt Duncan Keith, Patrick Kane, Jonathan Taves, um, and. Kubalik, who was a Calder finalist this year, which we'll talk about later, like everyone right now is on a level playing field with all this time off. So everybody's got a shot, but without your starting goalie and really not having a 1B type goalie in the uh, waiting to start, Chicago's not in a great spot unless Malcolm Subban becomes the COVID goalie of of everyone's dreams. 
I think Chicago's in a very, very bad spot to start the play in playoffs, whatever we want to call them, whatever we're calling it now. I don't think Stan Bowman's too upset. No, I mean, you knew it really wasn't their year. Uh, standings indicated all of that and they've got some very interesting <laughs> prospects uh, coming through the system right now so um yeah i if i was stan bowman i'd be pretty happy about being in the lafrenner sweepstakes i think uh one uh book he had the blackhawks as like one of the um the favorites of all the play-in teams like they were near the highest most likely to to win it and i was just like those are whoever made those odds very clearly has no grasp on hockey and i get it you're right like you never discount patty kane you never discount a, a jonathan tapes who's all of a sudden playing like a superstar like very henrik zetterberg-esque like a, a a really really good star player during the season but during the playoffs might turn it on and, and become the best player in the world uh dominic kubelik of course can be on fire and then you know malcolm suban just strings together the best he just has to be average, life. an average yeah. NHL goalie to give that team a shot. I don't know. The rest of the roster, like you have Keith and Seabrook there. Yeah, I don't know. You never know what Debrinket, um, he can always, you know, provide some secondary scoring as well. Um, but yeah, I mean, without your starting goalie and not having a 1B, you're SOL. I think I agree with you. I think I'd prefer Toronto over Chicago because I cannot bear the fact that Chicago traded away Artemi Panarin and is still going to get an elite winger, a potential elite, like game-changing winger in return or like down the road. Yep. If Red Wings fans get any sort of cosmic justice, which is very obviously not going to be help from the NHL in terms of winning the lottery or, or getting kind of like some stroke of luck, at least let it be that Chicago has to toil for a little while. Just give us that. Yep. We need them to suffer a little bit while their their franchise players age into non-existence. Are we petty? Yeah, absolutely. If we weren't, I don't think we'd be a quarter as entertaining as we already aren't. Uh, speaking of entertainment, uh, hockey Twitter today was absolutely wild about um, NHL award announcements. So the NHL is doing a, a rolling announcement of all all the NHL award finalists. So they so far have announced the Calder Trophy finalists, Jack Adams, Masterton, and Lady Bing. Um, I think today was the most intense Lady Bing argument in the history of the Lady Bing Award. Um, still to come are the Willie O'Ree Award, the Vesna, the Norris, the Selkie, and the Hart. Um, all right, so let's let's start with the Calder Trophy. Quinn Hughes and Kale McCarr, the two gimmies. And that's uh that's a hard one to to really argue against. And and what comes next is really, really difficult. Um because the nominee was Dominic Kubelik, who had a fantastic season. I think put up 30 goals, if I'm not mistaken. Uh I believe yeah. it was 30 on the dot. And that's a fantastic choice. Like, of course, he he's deserves to be recognized uh, for that kind of rookie season. But that also leaves out Adam Fox with the Rangers. That also leaves out Mackenzie Blackwood, Blackwood with the Devils. Like, there's a lot of great, great young players, especially young defensemen um, who could be nominated. So the argument over third is is a valid one, but it's kind of how I feel about picks five to ten in the draft yeah you can argue but i mean they're all so close within each other no one can really criticize going one way or another 
Now, between Kale McCarr and Quinn Hughes, how how do you lean? I'm on the Hughes train big time. Um, first, I don't think Hughes has the supporting cast that McCarr has. I think Hughes was second in rookie scoring, period. Not only Jeez. as a defenseman, but second in all of the rookies. Um, I think he was like second on ice time for Vancouver defensemen. So he wasn't, you know, just getting cherry picked minutes. He was playing all of the minutes. Um, and he is just a human highlight reel. Um, the way he plays the game at such a young age as a defenseman in the NHL. Um, he's my pick, but I, I have Makar right there as well. Yeah. I, I'm sure I've given a different answer depending on when I was asked. Like right now, I, I do lean Makar just by a hair, um, but not because of anything Hughes does wrong, right? Like everything that you just said holds true. Um, and I do think you're right. Like yeah, definitely Makar is a, is a great supporting cast in Colorado and, and playing on an objectively better team in my mind. Um, not that Vancouver was doing poor by any means. Um, just so steady. From the moment I watched uh, Kale McCarr first take the ice and I think he played his playoff games before anything else the kind of movement he was making on the blue line and the confidence he exudes with the puck is like that kind of skill takes hundreds of games for defensemen to develop even ones who are offensively proficient who, ones who are good puck handlers like the way he dishes out the puck the way he sees the ice his, his footwork like it's all so beyond his years and that's the dream as a, a coach so I I may have made a mistake. Hughes led all rookies in points, and McCarr was second. But McCarr had twelve goals. Hughes had eight. But McCarr played less games, and he actually had a better points percentage. And it's it's disturbing. He averaged point eight eight points per game Jeez. as a rookie defenseman. As a rookie defenseman, uh, the only other. Two pl- the only other two players to do that with 50-plus games played are Larry Murphy and Al McGinnis. <laughs> so that is a very elite club. Uh, I, the case for both of those players is very, very strong, and I don't think there's a wrong f- winner in this case. No. The online battle is, like, heated. People are at each other's throats about it, but, like, how can you say one side is definitely wrong over the other? Yeah, right? Like, both had incredible rookie seasons, and both fan bases are correct. Yeah. Which isn't something I usually say about Canucks fans or uh, Avalanche fans. If if Q's doesn't win this, some suburb of Vancouver is going to be up in flames. And Canucks Twitter is nuts. Like, I see it pop up on my feed from time to time, and just, like, I think one time out of context, I saw like a four page notes apology to like JD Burke, who we've had on the show and who we're going to have back on. And I sent it to JD. I was like, Hey, with zero context, I think you guys deal with the absolute most batshit part of hockey Twitter. He's like, Yeah, it's a ride, man. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, this is like a daily occurrence. It's like, what is going on? Um, next up that they announced were the Jack Adams uh, finalists. That's coach of the year. So that's Bruce Cassidy, John Tortorella, and Alain Vigneault. Um, their yeah, honorable mention here probably goes to Mike Sullivan with the Penguins. Um, I always scoff a little bit at, at recognizing coaches of Crosby and Malkin, but that's just me. It'll be a couple of votes for Jeff Blaschel as well. He uh, had a really good year this year with his team. <laughs> Oh, man. 
I don't even I don't even want to start with that right now. <laughs> I don't think I can't start it's with that right low now. hanging fruit. It really is. Um I don't know. John Tortorella, did he win it last year? Who good question. Uh Jack Adams 2019 winner. Um Barry Trotz, that's what it was. It was Barry oh, yeah, Trotz. That, yeah. Yeah. That should have known that one. We don't have the muscle memory like our no. uh, our third like compadre. I know it's different without Rayman here. We have to. Have we could have just asked them who won in 1976, and he would have given us the answers. It probably was Jack Adams. When Brad's on, it's so good because both of us have a chance to you know mute type. our mics and take a drink. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I can type I and hold figure out what the hell we're talking about. <laughs> I bet if we start, if we just like sent a uh, quick messenger chat to Brad and said, "Hey, Brad, I bet you couldn't name who won the Jack Adams in '76." He'd answer quicker than when we're trying to plan out a podcast. Yes, absolutely. I- this one's uh, tough for me. I, I I really think Philadelphia didn't overachieve, but they're one of those teams that like reached their full potential this season in a lot of ways. Um, and they haven't always done that. They've, they've always had a, kind of a lot of talent that didn't always pan out. And then they lost that talent. And it's like then they dropped back in standings. And, and this year was much different for them. Um, but then again, what Tortorella is doing in Columbus. it's I always like to think of it as who can squeeze the most out of the talent that they have. And that's sort of how I assess who I think should win uh, the Jack Adams. And, you know, Bruce Cassidy had an incredible year with, with um, the Bruins. And I think they were over a hundred points and they won the president's trophy. Like, but that roster has been the same for 10 years. So nothing against Bruce Cassidy. It obviously takes a ton, like a bad coach can ruin a team and he's done tremendous things with it. But I think the other two are my front runners for the trophy. So when I come back to, you know, squeezing out what you have out of your talent, there's nothing in Columbus. They have Pierre-Luc Dubois. I can't hear you, Ryan. Sorry, I was muted. Sorry. Ugh, that's okay. How do you lose uh, Panarin and Bobrovsky and, and still perform? They lose their best players. They lost, I think, like their a lot of their best players were injured for the season. I think Rowenski. Oh, too much talking <laughs> for me this episode. Uh, I think he was lost to a bunch of uh, injuries this year. So, um, if anyone's squeezing everything they can get out of a team, it's John Tortorella. Um, and the fact that we were kind of split on between Toronto and Columbus in the play-in just speaks volumes to how he has that team organized and how they play uh, at the NHL level. So I really like what AV has done with the Flyers this year. I think a lot of it comes down to the fact that they now have a starting number one goaltender. And I think that's been something they've been missing for a long time that they've had a lot of good teams, but they just haven't got that bona fide regular number one starter who can put up average to better numbers um and i it might be his to win in an, another few years but i think this has to be tortorella's year because he's taken a injured non-star level team and and potentially has them in the playoffs and they're in the hardest division in hockey like they have to play the washingtons they have to play the the pittsburghs all the time like those aren't easy games and the fact yeah. that they're able to stay afloat in the metro is is commendable especially for that roster yeah they played like it's such a uh like eye test old school way of thinking but they just play a true team game like 
the 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 summer it the team is greater than some of its parts and that's really what tortorella brings out of this team and honestly like i used to be a huge not detractor of tortorella but i never had faith in him getting performance out of a team for more than two or three years because it happened more than once where he would coach a team and after a couple of years he'd lose the room like people who remember his early days he was a hothead he was fiery and he pissed off a lot of people and his own players included and when he went to Columbus, I predicted the same thing happening, but he really, really grew as a coach and you can see it with with what he's built in, in Columbus. Yeah, he seems to sort of cooled off with the hothead mentality. Mm-hmm. And I think the teams that fit him best are the teams that are kind of like this Columbus Blue Jackets team. They don't have that, you know, 100 point player or those that the superstar mentality a la like a Tampa Bay Lightning he's taken these guys who other teams have maybe thrown aside or people have said that this team isn't good and he's got them to buy into that. And those are the teams I think he's very good at coaching Uh, and he's showing it this year. And I think he's my Jack Adams winner with the zero votes I get. Yeah. Yeah. We haven't been afforded a vote yet, but uh, that won't stop us from talking about it. No, I'm going to agree with um, Tortorella I think if it went to Vigneault, I wouldn't be upset either. Wouldn't be upset. No. If it went to, you know, Cassie or, or Mike Sullivan, I'd be a little bit, not miffed, but I just, I don't know. I would think, why, why did Babcock never get one when he was uh, coach of those Red Wings teams? Although you'll, you won't see me crying for Mike Babcock anymore. No, not anymore. <laughs> uh, the Masterton trophies, I don't know. That's It's not really one to debate. It's, you know, all I feel like that this is one of those trophies where there should be definitely more than one. There should be almost a class. Um, Stephen Johns out of uh, Dallas, Oscar Lindblom um, in Philly, and of course Bobby Ryan in Ottawa. All phenomenal stories. I don't There's know. There's no loser. There's no. no loser. They're all winners. I think you have that that almost scripted game with Bobby Ryan coming back and and you know putting up the Hattie and. That was just such a magical moment. So, like, how do you how do you vote against that? But then you have like you know what Lindblom and uh, Johns have overcome. It's whoever doesn't win this year is going to win next year. You know, that's uh, kind of I wouldn't be surprised if that's the mentality of the voters. Yeah, if I had to pick a winner, I would think it's Bobby Ryan because with this trophy, they do like seeing the player come back and play, whereas Lindblom hasn't yet. And they've got that sort of like Brian Boyle story where he's finally back, plays a game, scores a goal. Everything is, you know, fairy tale. Um, and Bobby Ryan's is so gut wrenching and just so it's something I think a lot of people may not have known about. You know, there were a lot of inklings of, of those sort of underlying things, but never openly discussed. And I think when he did his tell all, everyone was like, whoa this is heavy and this is a lot more than anyone ever thought. And everyone always knew that Bobby Ryan was an elite talent, but something always kept getting in the way. So nothing against the other two, but but if I had to pick, I would say Bobby Ryan, but for all three of them, it's, it's, uh, there's no loser ever in this, in this, uh, this category. No, you almost want to think like it shouldn't be voted on the same way as performance awards, right? Like it's almost like if these are our three, let's just celebrate all three. Yeah, yeah. Make, it's not make a it single an winner, class. right? Like yeah. all of them have won, and I don't think they need a trophy to know that. Uh, and finally, I never thought there would be a Lady Bing <laughs> conversation. So fighting over this. the Lady Bing, <laughs> uh, Austin Matthews, Nathan McKinnon, and Ryan O'Reilly um, were nominated today. So this trophy uh, has become 
what uh, Patrice Bergeron is to the Selkie as yeah. Ryan O'Reilly is to the Lady Bing. I think they just throw Ryan O'Reilly on when they don't have other people to put on. But they did this year, which is weird. They they awarded to the most gentlemanly player, and like you wanted to decide what that means. Is that a player who exudes the most uh, sportsmanship and class on the ice? Okay, that might not be a guy who scores more than like eight points in a year, but it always said Brad on Twitter today said it correctly. It's just turning into like the the points minus penalty minutes award. Um, um, and then there's obviously all the talk about you know Nathan McKinnon was the only one of those three who hasn't been arrested in the past <laughs> so far that we yeah. know of. We know, of course, the story of Austin Matthews in the off season, and then Ryan O'Reilly will forever be. Um, mocked drinky winky style for uh driving his uh truck into the side of a tim hortons or a wall outside so of maybe it hortons. is matthew's year to win it then even though it was dismissed but court of public opinion has already ruled him guilty uh you know i'm not even going to get into a discussion like obviously what he did was stupid and I, like if you want to start arguing over whether players off ice conduct uh should be measured for honest awards i mean yeah valid argument am i gonna wade into those waters no absolutely not because it's a lady bing and i don't care <laughs> like pretty much that's how the lady bing works i think um a couple honorable mentions would be tavo teravainen i think he had like sub double digit penalty minutes while putting up 50 60 points 60 points um another sort of outside candidate i was thinking about when i looked these up was like a ryan Suter. he plays like a bajillion minutes a game and i think he only had like 12 penalty minutes and he doesn't play this high tempo offensive style defenseman role like he plays the nitty-gritty and to only have 12 minutes that's quite impressive uh for his his style of play i've always thought that those uh like that award should be so much more focused on defensemen who just eat minutes and are required to play like the heart and soul of defense on your team. Like Ryan Suter is such a good example to bring up. Like, like you said, like he plays tough minutes. He plays the grinding style of play. He he's protecting his own zone. He doesn't play easy. Like he's, he's a tough guy to play he's against. A and to, real bitch to play against, but he yeah. doesn't take penalties. And I'm sure any team would love a minute eater like him. And that's a hard thing to do. I played defense and I, I like, you know, as I moved into more competitive levels of hockey, I had a hard time walking that line. It's an incredibly tough thing to do. Do you have to walk the line? Yeah, of course. Yeah, cheating is only what you get called for. But if I had the opportunity to whack a guy in the ankles while the ref wasn't looking, of course I would have done it. But still, to, to play effective defensive hockey, you're going to put yourself into situations where you're going to have to grab and hold, where you have to decide between a hook or let the guy blow past you. Like you have to constantly be in the right position to make sure that that there you're not being forced into a situation where you might have to take a two minute minor. And even then, like that's a tough thing to guarantee because if you're playing against Connor McDavid, you're probably better off just whacking him across the hips with your stick. Yeah. So Yeah, this is another, you know, hotly debated trophy, even though it's not really an important one. Um, yeah, I, I would love to see more um, all of those things we, we just talked about brought into the, the mix rather than just high points, low penalties, because that's not really what it's all about, right? Like there's time on ice, you know, some forwards may have a ton more offensive starts and be put into better positions where they don't have to take penalties. Like if you get ozone starts, you probably won't take as many penalties as the guys who are 
getting those D zone starts and not being put into the high offensive situations. So I don't know who's going to win this one. Does it matter? Not really. I don't care. You know what? The, uh, Prashanth brought this up on Twitter today too. Um, and it's a great point and one that it never miffed me, but I, it's, it's kind of the reason I always just kind of like don't care about the award. Pavel Datsuk won this award a lot, which is great, you know, good. And I think that's incredibly, uh, well deserved because, you know, he always led the league in takeaways and was rarely penalized for it, um, for the attempt. Nick Lidstrom won four Stanley Cups, seven Norris trophies, a Con Smythe, uh, 12, he was a 12 time all star, 10 time NHL first all star team, uh, member, never once won the Lady Bing. Which is, and if, that's, if you want the epitome of like a guy who was always in the right position, so he never had to take the penalty, like, possibly the classiest player to play in the modern era. You kind of just have to give him one just based on merit alone. Kind of like one of his later con Smice people argued was done for that very reason because he probably was robbed of one earlier in his career. So it's like the Lady Bing. If you ever didn't have an obvious choice, it just should have been Nicholas Lidstrom. Yeah. What did he have one fighting major? And even then, it was barely a fight. I can't remember how what it was. Yeah. So it's a bit of a lame duck trophy, but um, I don't know. I don't even know who to pick. I I I decide that I I decide maybe Nathan McKinnon because to be a, a Hart Trophy candidate and you know to be, still be considered gentlemanly and not going over the edge, sure, go if, all yours, Nathan McKinnon. If Austin Matthews still has his mustache and wears the most ridiculous suit to the awards night, he has my vote. Yeah, all for that. All for the the crazy suits. Um, anything besides the plain Jane stuff that we see. Did you see that um, people are wearing the pocket squares that come with their ties as face masks? To like pocket work and squares stuff? that come with their ties. That's I've never. <laughs> I didn't know you could get pocket squares with ties. Yeah, some places do it, or okay. like they'll get a tie made up with material, and then they'll get a mask made up with the same material. That's far too high fashion for me. I don't just. <laughs> Listen, I'm str- I just said I haven't put pa- like actual <laughs> chino pants on since like March, since there was snow on the ground. I was telling my boss the other day at work, I was like, my laundry has gone down so much because I don't wash pants anymore. I don't wear pants at home. I wear my collared shirts, of course, because I'm on, you know, work calls. But I was like, I'm wearing shorts. I was like, I stood up. I was like, I'm definitely wearing gym shorts right now. Like, no chance. I'm wearing a collared shirt and like slacks right now. Absolutely not. You never know when a pickup game of and one basketball is going to start. So you always got to be ready to ball. I was not a vertical athlete, man. No. (laughs) It's not. No. I've got, yeah, not a basketball guy. How tall are you? Six feet? Six one? Right on the dot. Yeah. Yeah. Me too. (laughs) Just like Brad. Yeah, <laughs> Brad. Brad's like that. Uh, who's that rapper that's been all, all over the news? He just got arrested, but there's a video of him standing up from a chair and he got no taller. <laughs> so <laughs> must funny. have had a booster seat. Yeah, seriously. Oh, uh, yeah, so probably by next week we'll be talking about. Um, yeah, next week around this time we'll be talking about Hart, Norris, Selkie um, nominees, Vezina as well. So. That's that. I don't know. You can tell the uh, we're in the dead of summer right now, desperate for any content when people are screaming about the Lady Bing trophy. So, did we talk about Ted Lindsay last week? No. Who were the nominees for that? 
uh, Dreisaitl, McKinnon, and Panarin. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, that makes sense. That's great. That's a great three to pick. People are going to say Connor McDavid should be there, but you know he missed a lot of games due to injury. So, yeah, this is uh, Drysaddle's team this year. So if they put Connor McDavid and Drysaddle, I think it's a very strong slate against Leon's season. Yeah, um, a lot of people are are saying that you know Panarin really isn't getting the the recognition he deserves, and that's probably true in my mind. Um, you know, I've seen a ton of arguments for either Panarin or McKinnon, and, and pinning Drysaddle as the third of those three. Um, I've talked about people, or I've talked to people who think Connor Hellebuck deserves a lot more, like MVP, either by writers, GMs, or or whichever version of the award. Uh, Connor Hellebuck deserves more recognition. It's a it's a very crammed uh top end of the league this year and i think that's a good thing yeah um this one's voted on by the players so yeah it doesn't necessarily mean oh who is most it's it's not the heart trophy um it's who they think is the best player so it might be a little bit more tight than people think it would be you know everyone's like oh it's mckinnon because he led his team with 43 more points than the second most uh, second player. And Leon Dreisaitl carried the Oilers while McDavid was gone. But there's a strong case for Panarin this year, especially amongst the players. Um, so I think this one could go any way, really. I, I would still probably be shocked if Panarin won. But this is voted by the players, and they see things far different than the fans and the pundits see it. So yeah, I would be shocked, but not shocked at the same time. I'm I'm predicting Drysaddle for this one. I would vote Panarin. I think what he's doing is amazing, but I, I would predict Drysaddle for the what you said. Like the way players think is wildly different a lot of the times than what like the talking heads and, and the pundits come to. I still think Drysaddle might be underrated from a player's perspective. Um just because McKinnon's so flashy and so in your face that uh Drysaddle's a little bit more dry style might not rub all of the NHL players. Um, but once again, I, I honestly think they don't have a wrong no. finalist group for this trophy. Like every, this is another one where I think anyone could win this one. But if I had to pick, I think it's, I'd say dry saddles third. If I had to just pick, cause I think the flashiness of Panarin and McKinnon, uh, override that but i think it would be mckinnon uh who wins my uh my brain still constantly has to do the conversion from lester b pearson award to the ted Lindsay award and that happened like 10 years ago yeah well that that could have been like last week really we're in covid time now yeah um okay moving on to our next topic and and before we get to overtime here um instead of a prospect profile i want to talk a little bit about uh, the merits of of where GM drafts a player and how much you can reasonably expect them to um, select the best player at that position or the best player left on the board. Um, you're talking about the top two picks. I think it's your responsibility as a general manager, director of amateur scouting, and, and draft group to select the best player there. Like 
if it's an easy pick and it just goes bust, there's only so much you can do about that. Like you want to look at Nail Yakupov, you want to look, go f- as far back as uh, Daigle with um, Ottawa. Like that kind of thing is going to happen. Um, I don't think anyone can look back and get mad at at a team or Edmonton for Yakupov, or at least it was an overwhelming consensus where if they didn't select him, they would have been way off the board. Um, that said, you know, we're in a position again where Steve Eisman is making a, a selection beyond third overall. Um, and there's a chance that, you know, people don't want to deal with the reality that Jake Sanderson or someone who is not ranked within the top five by a lot of people is going to be possibly in play for the Red Wings. Um, but this is the same general manager that took more outside or six overall last year where, yeah, by the time you reached draft day, you knew he was going to go top 10, but was he really the sixth best player in the draft? And and that's one that I I, I think about a lot. Um, it's not a secret. And everyone asks about um, uh, seeing the reactions to uh, Cider being drafted. I'll post that eventually on YouTube. I just haven't gotten around to it. I have to dig up the footage. It's on a hard drive somewhere. Um, the I, I think about it a lot because obviously – our preference was a Trevor Zegras at that spot. If Alex Turcott didn't fall, which he didn't, he was one pick away. Um, and there was a few other guys that we were talking about, but it was never Moritz Sider. Like Moritz Sider was a truly off the board pick. And I think that's a pick where in general, a GM picking six overall has a lot of license to do what he wants. And as long as a player turns out to be a reasonably good pick, you're okay. But if you go that far off the board, then you're sticking your neck out. And I think the fan has the fan base and, you know, analysts and whoever else have the, uh, the right, not the right is a funny way to say it, but they are going to stick it to you and they're justified in doing so if that doesn't pan out. Yeah. They certainly have ammo to say, I told you so. Yeah. Now, of course, fortunately for Red Wings fans, so far it turns out that more outsiders turning out pretty well. Now, here's a scenario for you, Evan. Let's say Moritz Sider progresses well, but he doesn't turn into a star like maybe we're expecting that he might be. Um, and he's not really a top-pairing defenseman, and he just ends up being a really good, really, really good number three. Like, this guy's playing, you know, great. Uh, he's eating a lot of minutes, superb defensively, doesn't contribute much offensively. He's not. He doesn't see him a lot of power play time, and he's only on the top pairing because there's no one else really um, more of a penalty kill crunch time situation guy do you at that point say that was a bad pick or do you look back and say at least it wasn't a complete bust at least he's playing meaningful minutes in some kind of role for a hole that this team had he is filling a niche that this team had unfilled i think i look at it in two different lenses to kind of come up with my opinion First, I look at, okay, who are the historical six overall picks, regardless of, you know, their movement up or down their perceived draft board. So, I just pulled up the some of the recent um, number six picks. So, Matthew Kachuk, I would say that's a very good six overall pick. Pavel Zaka, maybe a whoopsies. Jake Vertanen, coin flip, we'll say. Sean Monahan, you know, maybe. Hampus Lindholm. Mika Zabinajad. Uh, we get to 2010, and this is Steve Eiserman, Brett Connolly. <laughs> but then you see 2009, someone like Oliver Ekman Larson, who is a defenseman. Yeah. And that is, you know, tantalizing to think of. 
Um, but there's a lot of guys at six who kind of never really turned out to be high all-star level uh, NHLers. Um, so that kind of makes me feel like, you know what, if six turns out to just to be a minute eater, you know, plays all ty- different types of situations is, you know, a solid number three, four on the team, that might be a good pick. Um, the other way I look at it is how does the draft, that draft class kind of pan out, you know? When I look at um, like the Nail Yakupov draft, wasn't a super strong draft from how you look at it. Like Philip Forsberg is the highest scoring player out of that draft. Yeah. Um, there isn't really a, a late sleeper. Like even Athanasiu is like almost top five, top six in scoring. Um, so if it turns out that um, the Moritz Sider draft ends up being weaker than they thought, and Moritz Sider is a very capable defenseman, I would say, wow, we got a great pick subjective to that draft class. If that draft class turns out to be amazing and there's like 20 NHLers who are all-star level players, all that obviously won't happen. That's very fluky. I'd say, and Moritz Sider is, you know, a fourth defenseman. I'd say, you know, maybe we made the wrong pick at four. So I think it, you know, it just depends what sort of lens you look at um, changes how you might think about that pick. Um, still obviously too early to tell with Moritz Sider in that draft class um, to see how things are. Um, but by all accounts so far, he, he's looking like a good prospect. So until he plays meaningful minutes in the NHL or gets a good sniff, I, I think it's still too early to tell. But I was probably the number one person against that pick, and I stopped listening to the draft after I heard that name <laughs> announced. Um, but I've been very, very impressed by what I've seen from him so far. So um, I'll say I like the pick. I think this year going off the board is a very risky play because of how strong the top 10 is and how certain I think the top 10 is. Ah, uh, we'll see. I'll I'll probably be disappointed regardless. <laughs> <laughs> Unless that, someone that, falls, I'll be upset. That's exactly it. No matter what, we're going to be disappointed here. No, I, I think you hit every single point there. Um, I think there's so much more volatility to the draft than people appreciate. And that's because we spend so much time talking about it. So you spend that much time discussing something and the merits of one player over another. You're going to forget that all of this has a big old grain of salt attached to it. And the degree of certainty we're working with is so much lower than people want to think. Like, not everyone has the amount of certainty that Lafreniere does. The reality is nobody does. Even Quinton Byfield is technically a risk if you draft him second overall. That's second. You get down to sixth, the 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 amount of risk jumps up in my mind very, very steeply. It's it's almost exponential. So yeah, I mean, you put any draft in a vacuum, you, you remove the strength of the, of the draft, it is unreasonable to think that the sixth best player is always going to be picked sixth overall. It's actually probably almost never that, like, that's the case. And so people forget that we're dealing with 18 year old kids. Yeah. You know, if we did the draft when players, like, when is, how old are players in, when they enter the NFL draft? Uh, I don't know, NFL's they like mid 20, like early Early to mid 20s yeah Yeah. so they have not only physically matured but they have emotionally matured as well whereas 
the NHL is very much dealing with very young adults who haven't fully matured in both those ways. So a lot of things can change um, even from 18 to, let's say, 22. Like Think of the amount of times we've said, this guy has all the tools, great mind. He just needs to fill out his frame. Uh, I mean, that's... That's his body, like that's your body developing. How do you control? Like you can control that, but a lot of times you're just not going to do it. You're going to be lanky forever. Yeah, you know there might be a guy who we're like, oh, he's six feet tall. He's only 170 pounds, but he can light the world on fire. All he needs to do is add 15 pounds. Well, not everyone's body can can do that. No, and still be the same NHL or same hockey player. Yeah. So yeah, I, I think if the Red Wings end up getting you know, the, the, the seventh best player at fourth overall here. Fourth is a little bit, I, I think, like I said, it rises almost exponentially. I have a much higher expectations from fourth overall, especially considering this draft class, but you still couldn't be that upset about it. Last year with Moritz Sider, if he ends up being the 10th best player, look, it's not the end of the world. I think you can hold a, you can bring up the fair argument let's say the trevor zegris or the the cole caulfield comes up and they end up being absolutely phenomenal players like all-star level players near superstar i mean the argument there is a lot of other teams besides detroit pass on those guys but just off the top of my head examples those you could bring up but then the floor of that argument is so much higher because you still have this hypothetical mort cider who's still a really good effective player for your team and so I think the only reasonable expectation you can have in these kind of middling, not middling, but like not top end picks is that they just don't completely screw it up. Yeah. If, if we draft a player who ends up playing 50 NHL games and has no meaningful impact to the team, that's a concern. That is a yeah. very big concern. That is a big whiff, especially in a strong draft class. Like if, if we're talking about a weak draft class and you whiff, that still hurts, but you're like, well, a lot of other teams whiffed, but if we're the only team whiffing, that's on us. And you also have to think um, on the flip side of it, the further off the board GM goes, the more his neck is stuck out. Not to say they shouldn't do it. They should, because if they just stuck to the consensus rankings, well, then just save money and fire all your scouts. There's no point. If they think there's a guy further down, they should at least attempt to trade down. And if you can't, then you take them like they did with Moritz Sider. Yeah. Um, and that's what they're paid to do every year. There's a guy, you know, last year was a, was a bit of an anomaly where Mort Sider was the guy that they wanted, but they couldn't trade back. So they had to take him. There's teams all the time in the mid to late first and even onwards where they're like, this is our guy and they take him, and he may move up 15 spots and somebody slides down, but that happens all the time. And yeah. There's a lot of deliberation between the scouts, between the all the personnel on the team to decide who is the right pick at that pick. Um, and they all have different philosophies, so you got to trust them. They are the experts and we are not. As much as we like to be, uh, think we are, they know how some of these pieces are projected to fit in with this roster X number of years down the road. So. Yeah. They're not infallible, but, you know. They'll make mistakes. Everybody does. Um, but I think this year you got to go pretty close to where teams are, or 
players are projected to go, especially with how Bob McKenzie's rankings are based on where GMs are or scouts are thinking these players will go. I would imagine the top 10 is pretty close. Maybe the top 15 is pretty close to that. Yeah. Last year was one, like last year was a shock, like no doubt, but it wasn't absolutely wild to think that it wasn't Zegras being picked, that it wasn't, you know, Cole Caulfield being picked. It it was the fact that it was more outsider specifically. Yeah. Surprising. The fact that it went off the board. No, it's not this year. Yeah. There's a very clear tier of players that you're working with. So I'd be, I'd be pretty surprised if you go too far outside of that. Yeah. There are still, I, there are still players. If we pick them, I would be shocked. Like, a, let's say we don't trade back and we take someone like a Jack Quinn. I'd be very, you know, I'm not worried about that pick because I, I like his skill set, but I think if you don't trade back and at least take something to trade back, anything yeah. to trade back, that you might be doing yourself a bit of a disservice. Um, all right, moving along. Speaking of uh, doing yourself a disservice, the Ottawa Senators with their 3D logo for the last however many years are finally doing the right thing and getting rid of that. So good news coming out of Ottawa. They're going back to the old, um, some kind of modified version of their uh, 2D Senator. So oops. I think this is the only good news we've tweeted or the first good news we've uh, mentioned about ottawa and forever <laughs> i was actually trying to think when yeah, was the last time we said back. anything good about ottawa those jerseys the black and red ones are supposed to be like the home jerseys those are going to be sweet um yeah just all the mock-ups i can't really oh yeah oh yeah oh yeah those are good my hot take is that like it, it's not even the nicest logo in the league that 2d senator but it's it's up there and it's just so it's such a good look the black and gold and red is like that's what a senator's scheme should be like it is just sharp and is intimidating as hell and finally they're doing it yeah those jerseys look good and i have no stake in the jersey game as i'm sure everyone knows i do not care about jerseys at all no. but those are those are the right decision yeah easy easy call um all right we're gonna head over to uh overtime here um overtime is uh this is a midweek episode so it's brought to you by our patreon supporters exclusively um thank you local winged wheel podcast patron they're the reason we can keep the show going uh during the uh slog that is 2020 we're gonna start with nick hill he says speaking of raymond holt if every character of brooklyn 99 was a hockey player what position would they play and how good uh would they be at it do you watch brooklyn 99 no, so I can't answer this one. Uh, I'm going to look up the uh, the characters. I watch it, but I just want to think. All about I know it. is Terry Crews is on the show, right? Terry Crews is on the show. Terry Crews is a uh, top line defenseman. I think he's a uh, a shutdown defenseman. Uh, Raymond Holt, I believe to be a goalie. Uh, Jake Peralta is definitely like a wily winger, like a, t- a Tyler Bertuzzi type. Amy Santiago is a uh, two-way defenseman. Rosa Diaz is an enforcer. Charles Boyle is a... Uh, I don't know about Boyle. Boyle's the Boyle's the crazy assistant coach. Gina Linetti is like the crazy good when you don't expect it um, two-way center. And then, yeah. Yeah, I would say Terry Cruz is definitely the stay-at-home defense, and I'm not going to change that one. Um, I have to catch up on that show. Connor Leighton says, Hey, fellas, shifting gears a tad. This past year, it was announced that Long Island University and recently St. Thomas were both creating D1 college hockey programs. Long Island themselves have been announcing their first roster player 
by player every couple of days, consisting consisting mostly of USHL players and transfers from other schools when, uh, where they mostly played few games. I believe Long Island, who are the Sharks, are hoping to play this next season. Quick turnaround. My question is, what college would you like to see make the next jump to D1 hockey, either logically or just for fun? Go Cats and go Pack Go. Ugh, go Pack. Come on, man. I don't know. Um, I'm a big Michigan fan, so obviously. What was the question that make it? what school to jump to the d1 yeah what college uh hockey program would you like to see become a d1 program <laughs> i have no idea i don't i it's oh, it's so hard to follow it's, can't find it on tv here it's not very well publicized in canada unfortunately which is a the real only, shame because i feel like it's one it's arm fantastic of, hockey yeah it's one arm of of hockey that should really be shown i wonder if the chl kind of um handcuffs the uh, tv providers a little bit maybe i wouldn't be surprised it's hard enough to get some of the the chl games on tv let alone college games here like the the schools that we know obviously michigan michigan state those are in like minnesota and notre dame are, are two big hockey schools um ohio state who i hope lose every game for the rest of forever wisconsin um and then we also get things like um i think it's boston college they're a D1 school, right? Oh, yeah. Boston uh, College, Boston yeah. University, big ones. BC and BU. Maine is another big school. Um, the problem is, like, our exposure is based on the schools that are already big D1 programs. So, I'm going to go off the board, exactly. and I hope I hope Ohio State becomes no longer a D1 program because I hate Ohio State in every way. And I, to our uh, Ohio listeners, quick, I apologize for nothing. <laughs> I did a quick Google search, but it's slightly old. So, did we say Rhode Island? Rhode Island, let me see if they're on this list here. They're not on the list. Sure. Yeah, Rhode Island. Um, Dylan Krill says, hey, guys, who are your favorite prospects with low ceiling, high floor that you would want the wings to select? Thanks. Uh, that's a really low great question. Low ceiling, high, high floor. F- Jake Sanderson. Yeah, I was going to say, like, Sanderson's the embodiment of that, right? I don't want the, the Red Wings to select him. Um, and I don't want low ceiling, high floor in the later with the later picks. I guess the answer is I don't want low ceiling, high floor ever. I, I don't know if that's really a... Uh, if you're talking about um, a guy who could slip to the second round... Um, low ceiling, high floor. Ryan O'Rourke maybe? Would he qualify? This is such a Brad question. <laughs> it is a Brad question. I don't know. I don't really consider players with low ceiling to be worthwhile of a of a pick. Yeah, I'm. I, I, how I attest that to is basically means who's a safe pick. Yeah, a team safe, in this state can't pick safe picks. Safe means not great, but you know they'll play NHL minutes. Is there could be an, any multitude of. Uh, prospects that fit that Alexi yeah. Lafreniere could be that for example <laughs> he could have a super high floor and just never he could be a 20 goal scorer his entire career I'd be shocked but yeah no it holds yeah, true you know you never know um yeah I, I don't know maybe one of those the the Emil Andre types I really like Emil Andre and I hope he slips to the second round I feel like this is more of a defenseman yeah question I always picture defensemen with this. The Red Wings do not need more low ceiling forwards. Jamie Drysdale could be a 
number three minute eater for 15 years. I don't think Jamie Drysdale's low ceiling. But, no, me neither. <laughs> but I think he could end up how you said, where people expect the most of him, but he just turns out to be like that, like middle ground. He's not going to get a 40 lot point better, defense then for yeah. 10, 15 years. Um, selfish Puck Hog says, besides pizza, what's your favorite Italian dish? Oh, definitely gnocchi. I love Oh, I love lasagna. Gnocchi. You big lasagna guy? Not a big lasagna guy, but a good lasagna. I will. I do, I do like ravioli a lot too. It's never something. You never get enough in the restaurants, but that's just yeah. me being picky. I was spoiled growing up. My mom's the best cook I know, and she just like, home-cooked meals every night. And so, she, I was a, a, a brat as a kid, and I was a very picky eater, and I regret it so much. But she would make dishes in my mind. Like, there would be, like, repeat dishes. And now, cooking for myself, I realize that it wasn't repeat dishes. It's like you're you're feeding a family, and you sometimes have to just make the same thing. But for her, it wasn't just, like, you know – boxed mashed potatoes it was like a homemade lasagna i will admit your mother was the first introduction for me to should i say middle eastern cuisine or is there something more specific no it's general middle eastern food that she cooks and i was very pleasantly surprised by how much i enjoyed it so kudos to your mother's cooking yeah you are a big fan uh or my mom was a big fan she loves when i bring friends over and they're big eaters, and she defeats them. And I think she put you, she uh, yes. she had you comatose that night after dinner. I, I can eat. It was also to trap me so that she could try and convince me to convince you to go to med school. So yeah, yeah. she had uh, her motives to <laughs> cooking all that food. Uh, Cyril uh, Rubitsky says, with all the talk about fixing the lottery, why not just get rid of the draft? Get rid of the draft altogether. Increase the cap to cover the cost of all signed players at both the NHL and minor levels, with players becoming free agents at the point they would normally be draft eligible. Good teams will be cap strapped with the more expensive NHL players, allowing bad teams, at least the well managed ones, to offer large contracts to top prospects. This kills two birds with one stone, as it will increase the pay of young players without requiring them to wait seven plus years to cash in on their talent. The main argument against this, I imagine, would be that hockey-rich markets might have an easier time attracting local talent. However, we don't really see this often at the NHL level with UFAs, and I'm not sure it'd be that different with prospects. It could be a challenge logistically, and the players' union would never go for it, but it's an interesting thought experiment, um, and in my mind, a more fair system for the players. I mean, yeah, you'd get to pick exactly where you want to go, and we see time and time again, players are like, they who get drafted say, "Oh, I'm once I'm done this deal, I'm moving west." Like Travis Hamonic, for example. But I think there's a larger con than there are pros to it. I I do think we would see parity disappear, and we would see teams like Las Vegas or teams like New York, the the nice places to live, yeah. would, would, and who have the big bankrolls would would take a huge advantage of this. I think it would take such a perfect manipulation of the cap to to create that idea. Because I, I think, yeah, in a perfect universe, like like you described, Cyril, like I think that would work. But I, I I just struggle to find the NHL perfectly balancing where that cap should be to completely create that that vacuum of parity. I think it's the moment the scales tip; they'll tip heavily, and also. In a way, players play in the NHL after so many years and they, a lot of them, I mean, they do the, not what John Tavares did, but they, they do the opposite where they no longer are so emotionally attached to the teams they grew up rooting for and, um, their opinion of teams change. And 
I don't know. I don't know. I have a hard time get, getting behind that one, but I can't seriously discount the merits of, yeah, in an ideal situation, creating that perfect cap and, and balance. Would it work? Yeah. I like the draft personally. And the teams that are, we'll say, undesirables will have to throw a lot more money at um, free agents to get them to go there. And that screws them up cap-wise. Like, no offense to Detroit. But we'd have to probably pay us in Winnipeg would have to pay a lot more to get players to come there unless we built up a farm system or like we have players now that we can win with. Yeah. But that could be seen as an advantage. It forces teams to, to bring up their development programs to attract, attract better players. It could also bring players in because they know they'll play in the NHL more immediately. Um, I still think it's a bad idea, but it's definitely an interesting thought. Maybe we can do it for five years. Uh, Drunky the Dwarf says, do you think Litstrom would have been as great as he was looking back if Vlad uh, didn't get hurt? Um, looking back, one of the points that was brought up was uh, Vlad was going to most likely win the Norris at least once, and that would have lessened the uh, impact of uh, both their careers. We're talking about the second best defenseman of all time. Um, where would Lidstrom be if Vlad had won two Norris trophies, uh, but they won one more cup? Would he still be a top 10 defenseman, but maybe not second best? Um, I don't think I, – I, it didn't take long for the team to realize who they had in Nicholas Lidstrom. I mean, I think Doug McLean said it in the interview. Like They knew really early on that Lidstrom was something special. So I wouldn't say – I think he might have won fewer Norrises, but – he was always, for the most of Lidstrom's career, they always got him a good supporting cast of defensemen, a halfway decent number two to play with. So, I don't know. I, I think you would still find Lidstrom going into the the one of the top defensemen of all time. And I think right now, like Red Wings fans who watched him, are, the reason they're putting him at second best defenseman of all time isn't because of the Norris trophies. It's because they watched him on the ice. There's Norris trophies I think he should have won. And there's Norris trophies where I think he was he was fortunate to win. He didn't win one until he was after 30, which is generally the twilight of most players career so you think with if he had vlad earlier in his career he may have gone down as one of the best defensemen of all, all time because he would have had a consistent all-star playing partner yeah i don't know i i have a hard time saying lidstrom would have been considered any worse um i think you there might have been an impact on the amount of individual awards lidstrom would have won but that's uh, hard he wrote his own history off. for sure yeah you know, your supporting cast certainly helped but i don't think we should take anything away from nick's uh, pers- uh personal achievements uh and then drunky the dwarf asks about um the sorokin deal because it was a seven hundred thousand dollar signing um uh, for this year and then um announced a two million dollar extension for next year kind of confusing so could we clear that up i'm also yeah. confused by that <laughs> i was hoping brad would be able to uh unwrangle or untangle that from my brain yeah it's it's funny because a prorated contract based on like this season is is funny um i think that's just to get the deal signed we are actually going to do a larger topic about like these like uh sorokin the caprizovs those guys in a and and probably the next episode by the time that's all sorted out but yeah uh, pretty confusing topic so i don't blame you at all for that one garrett tv says guten tag hockey amigos what are you doing these days to maintain sanity in the remote and distance world i'm running out of ideas and continuously refreshing the internet is freaking unhealthy for the sake of silencing evan let's assuming golf isn't an option uh keep crashing the net boys and get them pucks uh pucks in deep there eh let's go red wings 
Uh, I'm not good at it. You know what? I, I thought the other day, I was like, I don't understand why weight is staying on so much more easily. And I was like, I'm not eating as much as I used to. Cause I just, I, I am too tired of cooking all the time. And then I was like, my basal metabolic rate is just so low right now. So you don't yes. move. You don't go anywhere. I don't I'll walk do in anything. the parking lot to my office anymore. I'm just a slug. I go from my bedroom to my office and then occasionally to the golf course. The moment I kick this cough, I'm going to start going on runs, I think, and I hate cardio. Hey, gyms are opening uh, tomorrow. Yeah, you're going to have a hard time finding me at a gym right now. Yeah, same. Uh, Michael Barry says, with the announcement that European draft prospects can't play in Europe and then play in the NHL in the same season, how do you feel about that? I personally like this if they draft Raymond so they don't burn a year of his ELC. P.S. You guys should do an episode on contracts that Wings should go after. Yes, that is definitely happening uh, in the future. Um I think for the, the, the players that this would affect, um, you know, namely Lucas Raymond here, I don't see a lot of NHL ready players, um, in the Red Wings range right now. I don't, I wouldn't have wanted that player to be up on the team next year. I don't think that would have been the best course for their development. So, you know, if they draft Lucas Raymond and he continues to play in the SHL for a year, that's great. Yeah. I would imagine there aren't a lot of, potential prospects at <clears throat> our pick that would jump immediately to the NHL. And I think it might be better to let them wait regardless and play another year in their uh, respective league. Um, Cameron Mugford says, looking ahead to next year's draft, how good is uh, Aturati? Where would he be projected compared to some of the recent first overall picks? And who are a couple of the other names at the top of the draft to start paying attention to? Um. I'll I'll go ahead and say um, this next draft isn't as well regarded as the current one. Sorry, the 2021 draft isn't as well regarded as the the current one in terms of uh, top end talent. You don't see the kind of you know this guy would be first overall or second overall in another year as far down. Um, Aturati has been compared a lot to some guy or someone like. Um, Nico Heischer, when New Jersey drafted him. By no means a bad player. I think a fantastic player and often overlooked. But that's kind of where he's being looked at right now. That being said, a lot High can floor, change low here. ceiling. You could make that argument. Would I definitely say that? No. So much can change in a year. And so many times we think one draft is going to be amazing. And five years down the road, we go, oh, man, that was a lot of duds when there shouldn't have been. And 2020 is no exclusion. I'd probably put Ratty third fourth this year in terms of where he's projected right now but by no means can you say that definitively um there's a lot of other players to to look at there uh owen power is a defenseman that comes to mind um you know six four i think over 200 pounds like that's a guy where it's a pretty defense heavy heavy draft where there's a lot of high-end defensemen available so whenever um people talk about you know, do you draft a defenseman this year? Do you take a risk with Drysdale if you don't necessarily think he's going to be number one overall defenseman? Maybe not. You have guys like Brant Clark. You have Luke Hughes. You have Carson Lambos. Those are all guys. Owen Power. Like those are all top end defensemen that you could possibly pick up for your team. That's why I'm pretty excited for the Red Wings to hopefully take it forward this year, and then next year there there's a, a ton of premier defensemen available to them. Yes, I think this is the forward draft. 
Uh, birthday boy Trev says saw uh, someone asked about Brooklyn Nine Nine. That got me thinking: if the cast of Brooklyn Nine Nine, The Office, Parks and Rec, and Tacoma FD were all in a best of five, not a playoff play in, play out, play upside down series, who would win? Uh I would probably save the cast of Brooklyn Nine Nine. It's hard to get past Terry Jeffords and then Captain Raymond Holt. Um, Parks and Rec would get trampled, even though I love that show. I'm looking for athletes, and I don't see a lot in Parks and Rec or The Office. Um, RC Tendy says, uh, anyone else notice how NHL Network is unavailable on all streaming services? I would like to watch it, but I would need to have cable. And he asked me to make that fart noise, so you're welcome. Uh, Everett Johnson says, hey, friends. Uh, I've been playing around with Evolving Hockey's contract projection tool uh, to do some of my own possible future roster slash cap projections, and I thought I would use some of what I found to play a fun game. Simply reply with would or would not. Evgeny Svechnikov one year at eight hundred seventeen thousand. Would. Would. Adam Ernie one year at eight twenty five. Would. Would. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I mean, depends on if he, you need to find a roster spot, then you bump him out. But would I, he's a great defensive player. Taro Taro Hirose one year at eight fifty four. Yeah. Would. Dimitro Timoshov two years at nine sixty two. Yes. Would. Brendan Perlini, two years at 1.226. I would. I'll I, say would not. Maybe Blashell could, uh, you know, give him extended periods of time with some non-potato players. Maybe keep him on the second power play. I think there's still some untapped potential. Not a lot, but I think there's more than what he showed this year. If he can do that, then yeah, but it wouldn't have to be. I would need to see the depth scoring. Madison We're arguing Bowie. over one million, one point two million dollars. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Madison Bowie, two years at one point seven eight six. Where's Brad when you need him? Uh, what was the number? Sorry, one point seven eight six for two years. Or sure uh, per would <sighs> with his offensive production. If he can keep that up, then I'll give a begr- begrudging would. But it's begrudging, and no longer than two years. Robbie Fabry, two years at 2.245. Yeah. Double wood. Tyler Bertuzzi, four years at 4.964. Wood. Wood. Anthony Mantha at six years, six point, essentially six years at 7 million. Wood. Yeah. Yeah. I, I would take that risk on Anthony. All the, I will admit the pattern I'm seeing is all these dollar amounts are far too low. Tori Krug at five years uh, at 7.35. No. Would not. I wouldn't based on this team. Oh, yeah. I would take that contract with Tori Krug if our team was anywhere close to competing to win. But not this if team. If there, even on this team, if there are no ways, better ways to use the cap in terms of leveraging other bad contracts from teams to get better assets in terms of prospects and picks, if that doesn't exist, then yeah, go for it. But it's kind of hard to predict that. I would say would not, but for the people who are saying like, yeah, you, you need exciting players, I'm not going to argue with you. We have exciting players. Jake Sanderson, three years at 925. <laughs> uh, because of the context, would not. Uh, got Everett- a, we, we traded down and got another first round pick. <laughs> would. Uh, it goes on to say, I love you boys. Thanks for making Thursdays and Sundays something to look forward to. P.S. I went ahead and added all the above contracts to the Red Wings books using Armchair GM on Cap Friendly. And even with the flat cap, the Wings would still have roughly $16 million in cap space to find a goalie and take on a bad contract for an asset. Oh, okay, wait, that's a good argument for, for Tory Krug then. 
Uh, Yako Ruta says, uh, have you talked at all uh, about all the play-in series yet? Uh, I can't remember and neither can you admit it. So do them again or not. Who knows what happens in those series? Yeah, we'll be doing a, a full review of each series, even the ones that we've talked about and hopefully get some guests on to talk about it as well. Um, Kyle Wasserberger says, um, hello friends. I was shocked and a little disappointed that, uh, all the Brockbuster talk recently did not result in one Brockbuster trade pun on that note. Who is your grown worthy pun slash joke? Oh man. I'm surprised we, we didn't make that. I'm surprised Brad didn't make that joke. That's usually he may have and We just ignored him. Uh, who's your grown worthy pun? I don't know. What's a stupid pun that we make every time? Um, I can never think of puns when I get put on the spot. No, me either. I'm not funny. This is, again, this is a Brad moment. While you look that up, uh, Vincent Saladino says, I recently went back and listened to your interview with Ricard Gronberg, and it made me start to think about coaching again. Uh, while we do have Blashill next season, unless he gets fired partway through, who do you think would be a good target for coaching this season after, and what traits in a coach do you think are the most important to get our team out of this hole? P.S. Keep up the good work, boys. Uh, look back at our Jack Adams talk. I think that holds true. What this team needs right now is a coach who can squeeze the absolute most about out of a roster that's not necessarily studded with superstars. Um, I don't think it's a two perfectly separate circles, you know, coaches who can coach star studded teams and coaches who, who have to get the most out of their teams. I think there's a big overlap. I'm looking for, yeah, Gallant is a great example because of what he was able to do in LA. I think you want coaches who are willing to try different things. I don't think anyone can definitely say that Gronberg or Lane Lambert are, are the perfect picks because have you seen them coach in the NHL? No, but how much real talent is there in the NHL that you can honestly keep recycling time after time after time? I want a history of proven success with you know middling to above average rosters, and I want a guy who can develop young talent. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, in my unprofessional opinion, I think I would be rather willing to try something new that might not work than what's currently, in my view, not working. Hot take. Hot take. Uh, Chris Smith says, okay, Melnick may not be the worst owner in sports. If you guys haven't read up on the for now owner of the unnamed Washington football team, just do a quick read up. Oh, yeah. The news has been buzzing. Um, Brad, I feel you on the oversized infant issue, although I became concerned after last episode when you're talking about how Hank was growing out of his 12 month clothes In three days, my son will be nine months old and he has been in, uh, two T for weeks for a few weeks now. For those unfamiliar with baby clothes, that basically means 24 month clothes. He's only 31 inches long only, but shoulders are so wide. They make the two T look snug. He's not even a fat baby. He's just thick. I'm having a mild panic attack writing this. I always took comfort in hearing about how Hank was also huge, but the last episode made me realize I might have underestimated the size of my son. I should probably move to Alberta and get this kid streamlined into the dub, eh? <laughs> yeah, definitely get your kid into the dub right now. Kid sounds like a tree. Uh, Mark says, sorry to hear about your dog, Brad. It's never an easy thing to go through on a happier note. What 2021 draft prospects are you particularly interested in seeing playing their last year of amateur hockey? Mine would have to be Kent Johnson. Who's committed to Michigan for the coming season after an unreal season, uh, playing for the trail in the BCHL. Have you seen much of him so far? And if so, what do you think? I have not seen much of Kent Johnson. I have, he, I've just recently got like, became more familiar with the name. I'm actually not looking at all at 21 
2021 draft prospects just because we have so much focus on the 20 trying to focus on the now yeah but the defensemen i named earlier are really ones i want to key in on because if there's a number one defenseman available in this draft i want it c nod says hey guys uh fabry is the golden standard of a fresh start um a fresh start is all you need sometimes how do you feel about galchenyuk i mean anyone fits for the right price if not anyone on your radar that could use a fresh start thank you um sure yeah galchenyuk is is the easy answer to that for good reason um we've seen the talent that he has so i would probably say he's the best viable option i'd have to look at what else is available Hot take is Louis Erickson could find mild success on a different team. Um, He goes on to say, this is my main connection to hockey. Your pod has been really helping uh, what will end up being nine months without the heartbreak of a 5-4 loss with all four goals coming from the MLB MLB line. I have a short week the first week of August, so I will not leave my uh, TV for those couple days. There's going to be so much hockey. I can't wait to be overwhelmed by it. Well, thanks for joining us with this, and, and we're happy we can at least fill the hockey void somehow. Joseph Fornia says, hey there, fellas. Brad, so sorry about Ollie. When you are sorrowful, look into your heart and you shall see that you are weeping for that which has been your delight. And that's a quote from Khalil Gibran. Well, on to things of lighter note. I'll tell you, fellas, I'm having a real hard time with limericks for Askarov. The only rhyme I can come up with is something totally inappropriate for this family-friendly podcast. And I would not dare stoop as low as, say, the turd-flinging mouth breathers that run the Bruins and Canadian podcasts. I'm sure their listeners would certainly be entertained by such lowbrow childish rhymes like, we're blanking off for Askarov, but here, no. (laughs) That's funny. This podcast maintains the absolute highest level of maturity and integrity. Stay fresh, cheese bags uh benji says i miss osbp comments do you think he switched over to patreon and is hiding among us with a normalized name who do you think he is if he's not there it's the biggest loss from the rise of patreon yeah i should reach out to him it's been a while uh (laughs) censored again this is rowan censored again says well 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 if it isn't mr censorship himself kim rye on who cut off my comment last episode again this is clearly targeted and i can only assume boils down to some sort of inadequacy you feel towards me uh it's pretty sad but makes me feel less bad about that one star review on itunes which is more than generous given the circumstances as i am not the only one you've oppressed it'd be wise to remember where your funding comes from and maybe just maybe treat those people with a modicum of respect your weak apology will be not, not be enough this time since you've probably talked about the Lady Bing farce, Euro contract situation, and return to play again, we need to ask the hard-hitting question. Is Golf Guy actually cake? Oi, Golf Guy. Heater, driver, birdie. Okay, he's back. Dude, go grab a sharp knife and slice down your arm to prove you are real and not just cake. Do it, you coward. I pay my Patreon bucks, so I own you. Did you see the video from twi- uh, Gritty's Twitter today? Yeah, the that's funny. Gritty's the greatest mascot in all, of all time, I think. He really is. He 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 really ascended really quickly. Um, and I do believe there's probably a 13% probability that uh, Evan is cake. Jersey time. Rank the NHL teams from uh, Canada current home away jersey. Alts are not in play. Oh, hold on. Let me pull this up. Yeah. Go to NHLuniforms.com. Evan, that's the way I always do it. NHL uniforms. No free ads. Uh, okay. Who do we have? Um, Calgary's. We're not looking at their alternates um edmonton montreal um winnipeg ottawa toronto vancouver i don't know vancouver's are the ones with the sharks thing still right what are what is that logo what is the name for that 
It's the a shark, orca. right? Is it a whale? Killer whale? Is that a yeah, killer it's whale? the orca, I think. It's an right? orca. Yeah. I personally like those jerseys. Um, I'm pretty low on the Jets. They're not bad, but they're just so bleh to me. Um, Ottawa's current ones are awful. They're six because they haven't officially changed yet. So they get arbitrary. I'll go Ottawa six, Winnipeg fifth, um, Calgary fourth, Toronto third, Vancouver second, Montreal first. Yeah, Montreal's got to be in the top two, I would think. You can make an argument for Toronto over Vancouver. Yeah, I'm not a I'm not a huge fan of the orca whale. To be honest, I do like the stick logo. I like the stick and the rink logo a lot. I always wish they came up with a Johnny Canuck logo. I think that would have been cool. Yeah, God, it's hard to go against the Montreal one. I feel like I that's know. like anti hockey if you don't like that jersey. Yeah. Uh, when you've been silenced by the talkie show nerd, hit back with Stay Fresh cheese bags filled with anthrax and posted to said talkie nerd, Stay Fresh cheese bags, a Fournier company, and a choice of a new generation. Thank you, Rowan, for that. And uh, I make no apology because it's clearly not good enough. All right. We're going to wrap up this episode. Um, thank you all for tuning in. Um, thanks for your patience as Brad sits this one out um, and for your never-ending support. All of our listeners, uh, people who have done things like give us you know, good reviews on iTunes, everything you're amazing and it helps so much uh our name level sponsors the septic tank of that bitch carol baskins greech jeremiah dobo jake kiefer drunky the dwarf brad smith andrew bohan scott martin jacob turner matt mckay brandon m matthew m rice luke johnson clayton van dyken kaylin wood hassam alkasem arjun shanker charlie elkins hannah lee birthday boy trev chris ripley alex ott ashley van conant chris frank connor Leighton, danny jr matthew keeler simon anderson antonio gracias john evans k was stan olson thank you all so much and we will be back on sunday thanks for tuning in to the winged wheel podcast be sure to check out wingedwheelpodcast.com where you can subscribe to the show on itunes spotify or wherever you get your podcasts you'll also find links to other ways to support the show such as patreon official podcast apparel and more and don't forget to follow the show on twitter at winged wheel pod and of course the hosts at brad crisco at ryan hannah wwp and at hockey town evan